Welcome to the Living Stones podcast. These are the recordings of our Sunday morning talks. We pray that these are helpful to you, so please enjoy. long-lost psalm that I've unearthed and I'm sharing with you. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, going to drown them out. I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Because look out, here I come, and I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. You know, who can't help but join in with the bearded lady in The Greatest Showman? It's a fabulous song. It's, it's kind of a, an earworm kind of song. There she stands up with her group. She's in a circus with, with um, people who are challenged too high, too small, too fat, too, too whatever. The freak show in the circus. And in defiance of the face of deep-rooted shame and personal injustice, this song strides up. You know, it's the song of the underdog who draws a line in the sand and says, enough. Enough of being covered, enough of being shamed, this is it. And I can imagine, I'm glad I brought my tears. I brought the tears too. I can imagine a younger version of me in my bedroom singing that song on loop, trying to convince myself that I'm okay. But you know, at some point, the song has to finish. And whether that's the song sung by the, the, the singer or sung by yourself, that song has to finish and you're left with the internal song. The song that is yours. And the verses in everyone's song is going to be different but essentially, the refrain will be haunting, hauntingly similar 
It could be, who am I? Will I be loved? Will people want to know me? This is going to be a lovely sermon, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Will my life turn out happy? You see, these questions are fundamental to people today. But they would never have been asked by Adam or Eve. They knew who they were because they knew who God was and that they knew they were made in his image. He formed them, he provided for them, and he nurtured them. And because God is greater than them, they could learn every evening as they walked in the garden more about him and therefore more about themselves. Because as they learnt of him and embraced that, intimacy with the one who loves them. The more intimate their relationship became with the Lord, the more they knew themselves and the more intimate their relationship. And now Robin's crying. <laughs> that relationships with each other. You see, their purpose <coughs> was to live in the now with God. No beginning, no end to reflect on, because everything they needed to thrive was present now. Their purpose, their sole purpose, was to delight in God and bask in the love they had one for another. They had no thought that wasn't sourced by God. See, I can't comprehend living in such a, a place of rich inclusivity. And yet, when I consider my testimony, and testimonies we all have, I realize that the Lord is continually creating a path for me, a path for you to walk towards that place of fullness and contentment. circles I move in, <laughs> I hear this refrain time and time again. I want to be authentic. I need to be myself. And so often we hear that kind of phrase when people either come out in their sexuality or they've decided to leave their husband or their wife and, and just declare who they are. We had Philip Stolfold recently, after nearly 30 years of marriage, declares to the world, well, actually, I am gay. And everyone goes, oh, you're so brave. And the ripple, what's his wife possibly thinking? Yes, it is brave of him, in as much as to say, actually, 
this is how I, I feel. But the ripple effect, and I've seen it time and time again, is horrendous. And children going, Now, I want people to be authentic. I agree with the declaration, I need to be true to myself. I believe in it. The trouble is, people don't know what the word authentic means. Now, I haven't marked when I've actually got the slide, so this may or may not hold, that's the title of it, from autonomy to communion. Here we are. This is an online dictionary, and it says authentic is of undisputed origin and not a copy, genuine. Made or done in the traditional or the original way, or in a way that faithfully resembles an original, based on fact, accurate and reliable. That is what authentic means, of undisputed origin. You see, if we are truly to walk authentically, we have to go back to the source, to the one who created us in our in his image, whose intention is to give us Now, to say then, yes, I want to live authentically and I want to live according to the, the way I was created, that will put us immediately in opposition to the rest of society. All right? Their version of authentic and our version of authentic is poems apart. And that I need 
to create a persona. And it doesn't matter how nice a person is. If God is not central, then they will be self-centered. They will be self-sufficient. They will be self-motivated, self-governing, self-made. You see, the world's way is me, myself, I. But in contrast to words like self-indulgent or self-regulated, there's only one word that Christians should put behind the word self, and that's self-denial. Look at Mark. Now, I've used J.B. Phillips because we get so used to scriptures in our whatever we're reading. And, and J.B. Phillips isn't a direct translation, but it's a jolly good interpretation of. And Mark 8, 34 to 36. Then he called his disciples and the people around him, and he said to them, if anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all right to himself, take up his cross and follow me. The man who tries to save his life will lose it. It is the man who loses his life for my sake and the gospels who will save it. What good can a man do to gain the whole world at the price of his own soul? What can a man offer to buy back his soul once he's lost his once he has lost it? I was in um, yeah, international speaker. I was in Bedford this week. Um, with a group of about 25, 20-somethings who were all giving a life, uh, a, a, well, hopefully a life, uh, a year to internship in their own churches. And they come back and gather every six weeks or so, have four days of teaching, and then they go back to their, I, I think it's brilliant. Um, uh, anyway, I was given the task for the day of teaching them on the cost of discipleship and uh, you know, fun, fun, fun. But it was it was wonderful to see the commitment of the youth. What what does it take really to be go from a believer to a disciple? Because anyone can be a believer, but to be a disciple costs. And um, but it was it and it was this. It's Jesus saying. See, an autonomous person demands their rights and their privileges. They believe they shouldn't endure ill health. They shouldn't even, they certainly shouldn't suffer. They shouldn't even really be discomforted in any shape or form. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting a pleasant, healthy life. In fact, there would be something wrong if what we wanted was misery, abject poverty, and chronic ill health. It's like, now there's something wrong with me. So we all desire that, but it should not be our driver. And in this world, that is the driver. Ensure that I'm okay. And anything, you see, I see this virus thing, I, I read about Spurgeon's response to the plague in the 1800s. 
when he was a, a, a pastor in London. Quite incredible, because it went on. So he started going house to house, um, going, you know, the Lord loves me, the Lord protects me, and everything like that. And of course, other pastors in London were doing the same thing. And then some of these pastors started catching the plague and dying. And the question was that Spurgeon was, how long do I keep going? The Lord loves me, the Lord protects me, and everything. And it was a, a real faith challenge to Spurgeon in a very practical sense. But he said people were so open to the gospel. And of course they are. Because if your life is aimed at no suffering, no discomfort, no anything, I've got my, my uh, career, I, I know where I'm going, something unsure, like this coronavirus, is a curveball because they can't, they have no power over us. We can wash our hands till the cows come home. But we have no power. And this is where sense of mortality, sense of I cannot control my world. And this is such an opportunity for the gospel. Why? Because we are, whatever happens, we are secure. When I got, when I got breast cancer and was doing, having the chemo and everything, and you had to talk, well, the nurse had to sit with you giving, giving the chemo. What an opportunity. I was not fearful of whatever happened. Because I knew, I knew, I knew. This is an opportunity for us because we know it. I just wandered off there, but that's fine. Um, you know, it says that we must give up, give, give up all rights to himself. We are bought at a price. And what a price. John 15. Whoa. Right, I'll read it to you. It's a James Phillips one. I am the real vine. My father is the vine dresser. He removes any of my branches which are not bearing fruit and he prunes every branch that does bear fruit, increases more. Now, you have already been pruned by my words. You must go on growing in me, and I will grow in you. So just as the branch cannot bear any fruit unless it shares the life of the vine, so you can produce nothing unless you go on growing in me. I am the vine itself, you are the branches, it's the man who shares my life and whose life I share who proves fruitful. For the plain fact is that apart from me, you can do nothing at all. The man who does not share my life is like a branch that is broken off and withers away. He becomes just like the dry sticks that men pick up and use for firewood. But, if you live your life in me, and my words live in your hearts, you can ask for whatever you like, and it will come true for you. This is how my Father is glorified, in becoming 
remains self-centered rather than God-centered is the branch on the ground. They may retain signs of life for a while, but in the end they will dry up and they will die and be fit for the burn pile. The person who is God-centered will endure a severe pruning. The branches of our autonomous self will be locked off because they will not produce kingdom fruit. They are superfluous to, uh, to what's needed. So therefore, as Christians, we have had or are having all our branches cut off. Now, I, I studied... Um, for a while, um, the whole thing of grafting and vines and grafting, because the Bible is so full of vines and, and everything like that, and it is truly amazing, because even when we as Christians have had all the superfluous stuff knocked off, cut off, we then have more cut off. And it's every winter the vine. And what is left? Well, let me tell you how we're attacked in the first place. We have the rootstock. And what happens is that they cut the rootstock at an angle. They cut the little thing. It's called a scion. And it's cut at the same angle as the rootstock. The rootstock bleeds, and after it is bled, the scion is attached bare wood to bare wood. The two become one. And it is bound up and protected from disease. And throughout that first year, the rootstock is cut so it bleeds out so that there's not too much goodness going into the graft. And then gradually the graft becomes one with the root. And that is our salvation. That is our salvation. And then we start maturing and developing and the vine dresser, God the Father, farmer, is the one taking care. He ties up the growing branch, ties it up, ties it up, prunes off, so that in the depth of winter, the vine is, the branch is vulnerable, it's exposed, and it is, it looks dead. And for Christian, that is a dangerous time. I don't know whether metaphorically or physically you are facing winter and pruning right now. <coughs> but the temptation is to go Get off the get off the support. Right? And all that self stuff, I am me. I will say I I will sort this out comes up. But if you remove yourself from the rootstock and the support in the depth of winter, you will never see spring.
the branch can do nothing of itself, says Jesus. If we are to live, never mind be fruitful, we must stay attached to the rootstock. Every year, every year, pruning happens. We can outgrow the pruning process. Until, until we see Jesus. Okay? But if we endure the bleak winter months, we have the expectation of spring, life will stir, will surge, we will flourish, and we will produce, we will be fruitful. It's the perseverance, it's the endurance, it's the staying where we're meant to be. And the life of Christ comes up and feeds and nurtures and matures. We don't stay like a small scion. We become a large, solid, fruitful branch that will produce season after season after season. to abiding. Hebrews 11.1 1, Now faith means putting our full confidence in the things we hope for. It means being certain of what we cannot see. You know, some of us are half full people, half glasses are full, or they're half empty. Sometimes we get to the point where it's, where is the glass? You know, life gets that bad. It's like I can't even see the glass, never mind whether it's full of water. And there's the temptation then to sing the bearded lady's song. Look out, because here I come, and I'm marching to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen, I make no apologies, this is me. The temptation is to, is to jump, because life is so tough. <coughs> the I wants to declare itself again. If you ask most Christians um, to describe God, the first thing they'll probably say is God is love. And that is it. God is one, God is three. Love expressed in the relationship before the beginning of time to the Father, the Son, and the life-giving Spirit. I'm just going to jump through a little. Lay down 
myself and to remove the labels that have been put on me. You see, we have to find the authentic self, and that is the one created in the image of God. To be authentic is to be original. And as we grow in that true self, we stay, remain abiding, dwelling, remaining. John gets it. John, John gets it in John 15, and then when the Apostle John writes his letters, one, two, three, again and again, it's abiding, remain, stay with. The Apostle has got it. Stay with, hang on, persevere, keep your eyes fixed on the horizon. This is not it. You know, this is not it. The more we abide, the more confidence we have to say, I am who God tells me I am. You know, I began... Um, quoting, and just now, from The Greatest Showman. See, I, I had it. Enough. This is who I am. I want us to finish before we go into um, communion with a song that many of you will know that absolutely illustrates the, uh, the grafting, the growing, Rooted and established in Christ.